The world of marketing is ever-changing and can be confusing, frustrating, and outright exhausting. Welcome to Unbottled, the marketing podcast where experts share their experiences, stories, and best practices on online and internet marketing. Featuring Steve Wiedemann, former marketer for Disney, Skechers, and other well-known brands. Break through the hype with real marketing tips from industry leaders. This is Unbottleneck. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unbottleneck, the podcast where we solve common digital marketing problems. And today with us, we're going to be talking about content marketing with our friend Lee Judge actually a Lee Judge, if you were searching for him on Google, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. He's the co-founder and CMO of Content Monster, a marketing content production agency with a focus on video production, remote podcast production, uh, remote live video production, graphic design, and he's also the global digital marketing manager for Hexagon Geosystems, an official member of the Forbes Agency Council, and is based in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Lee, to the show, and tell us a little bit more about this A. Lee Judge. Is that <laughs> is that your normal name? Is that what your friends call you, like A. Lee? That is my official name, but it's not anything anybody calls me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think those who are listening who are in marketing can appreciate the backstory on that, and, and it's that um, my first name is actually Alexander, so the A is not made up, um, but from an SEO standpoint, um, when I began working on a personal brand, I realized there's a Kansas City cartoonist named Lee Judge who, you know, he owns Google and if you search for Lee Judge. And so before building my website, before building my personal brand, I decided to go ahead and add the A back in there so that I could actually rank for my own name. So the website is A Lee Judge. My handles are all A Lee Judge. And actually now if you Google me, you'll see my you know, the first page of the results as well. Mission accomplished. I Mission love accomplished. it. I thought it was like a marketing play when someone says, hey, what's the A for? You're like, well, awesome, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's definitely a marketing play. It, do it doesn't go back to the you know the phone book days of AAA, uh -huh. but uh, it goes from being for being unique enough to, to Google. It's, it's an awesome conversation starter too. Sometimes I get asked like, yeah, are those two I's in your last name? And I'm like, well, yeah, doesn't everyone have two I's? You know, and so we, we just <laughs> get goofy with it, and and sometimes we'll say, "How do you how do you pronounce that?" And I'm like, "Well, it's kind of like you know, we demand, you know, but it's more like we demand." <laughs> and so then they start to go, "Okay, I get it. He's he's you know, he's got jokes." <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. All right, I've got a ton of questions for you about content marketing. This is an area that is when we're thinking about digital marketing in general. There's there's things that we need to do with our website from a technology standpoint. There's things that we need to do. Um, off the website with PR and digital PR. And then there's things that we want to do on our website or even contribute to other websites to help grow our brand and build authority. And content marketing can feel like this big fog of, you know, what do I do? What do I write? Do I need an article? Do I need a blog post? Do I need um, a sales page? How long should the sales page be if I want it to show up in Google? How long should my, my marketing piece be? Do I need a graphic? Is stock images good? All these questions come up when you start thinking about content marketing. And one in particular that we'll get to is around creating a content calendar. So I can't wait to talk to you about that. But before we get started, you you actually said something um, previously that really that kind of got our attention. And could you can you explain to us the, the philosophy behind your idea that everyone is content? Yeah. Um, so I did a couple of keynotes and the, the keynote, in fact, you might even see that the, the um, sign behind me is B content. Uh, the keynote was called B content. It was basically 
based on a couple of things. One, that just like any any person or any business, um, you want to be the content that other people consume. So, you know, we're, we're all content junkies nowadays. So the thing is, when you're consuming content, when your prospects are consuming content, whose content are they consuming? They're going to consume someone's. So if your competitor is making more or better content than you, they're going to spend their time reading about your competitor. So if you're that personal brand or you're that company, you need to be the content that others consume. So that's where the B content comes from. Um, and it, is, it also comes from a personal experience that I had um, in, a, in a past life. I was a DJ and as a DJ, you know, when you're the entertainer, you are the content. People come to the venue to consume that content. But I was speaking with um, another DJ who had a DJ organization or DJ crew who had all the all the um, the big concert tours. They were DJing with all the biggest artists touring, right and I wanted to be a part of this group because I knew they would help me get these these t- worldwide tours. And one of the things he said was, you know, he's like Judge. You know, that's what he called me, Judge. He says you're very well known within the industry inside the business, but you're not known by the fans. So I was, I was actually B2B marketing then. Everybody in the industry knew me, all businesses knew me, but the fans didn't know me. And he says, you have to go ahead and make more noise and you know toot your own horn more often and be seen more by the people who want to consume your content. Right. And even then, it, it took a couple of years for that to resonate, but what it really came down to is people were consuming other DJs' content, whether it be you know their shows or them on TV or them being on the radio, whatever. They, they have more content out in the world than I did. Right. So, you know, from a personal brand standpoint, that's what I realized I had to be, had to cons- create more content about me. And it doesn't mean, you know, selfishness, like, you know, tooting your horn or, or bragging about yourself. It's, it isn't bragging. Branding. It's all it it's is. personal branding. You know, like, like Missy Elliott said, I don't brag, I mostly boast. Yep. And the difference is bragging is just talking, but boasting is you can back it up. If it's about something that is really you, that you really do and you really have accolades or, or value in that space, then it's not bragging. It's just, you can boast, you can say, Hey, by the way, this is something that you can come to me for something you can get value from me for. You should, if you're proud of something that you did an accomplishment, like I keep bragging about the the textbook I wrote for Stukin recently. I'm like, I can't believe I wrote a book. It took me a year to do it. And it was like, yeah. I keep thinking to myself, am I bragging too much? I'm like, no, I, I earned the right to boast. I worked hard on that book. Right. And the book speaks for you. The book is the content, right? You don't have to go out and say, you know, look what Steve Wiedemann wrote. You can say, oh, by the way, here's a book. Or if you want to know about this thing, I have some content to help you understand that. You don't have to say it's good or bad. Just have the content. And that's that's what B content basically is. I love that. That's such a great. And and we've been trying to get even people on our own team, you know, to, to become a bit of their own influencers and work on their own personal brand. So we've got our creative director looking at everyone's LinkedIn profiles and trying to, you know, kick them up a notch and articulate what they do uh, a little bit more professionally and help them get more recommendations from clients who've had good experiences with them, you know, so that everybody develops a personal brand because that makes our team look better. It's not, it's not something I'm, I'm worried about somebody getting so big working for us that they want to go work for someone else. It's I want to help, see what their maximum potential is. And if they get so big that they go somewhere else, that's something I'm going to be proud of. I mean, look, look what we help build. I've got so many of those folks that I've worked with over the years where I gave them training and tips and advice and templates. And some have made careers as freelancers or even started their own agencies. And 
And it's such a rewarding feeling because they're going to come back years from now. They're going to give you credit and they're going to, you know, share with other people how amazing you were and helping them get where they are. And um, there's no better feeling. But I agree. I think if you're working for any any company, any group, everybody should be working on their personal brand because it makes the whole group look better. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes companies are afraid to let their employees build a brand. Oh yeah. But if you if you look through, say, for example, your LinkedIn feed, you have two kind of people. You have those who only post company information yep. and you have those who create content who are being the content. And I much rather, you know, see someone doing something, even if it's around a product, than just someone posting a product post. Sure. Those those kind of posts don't get much leverage or much run on LinkedIn. Um, the ones where people actually um I won't say expose themselves, people who are actually genuine enough to to, to be themselves. Yeah. Um, and to show their personality because people like to connect with people. You know, there, there's no brand. There's no logo makes you go, wow, I want to know that logo. No, That's so annoying that. when you see that. Yeah, I feel like whenever whenever I see somebody just, um, or a company just posting stuff, I'm just like, this isn't a person. I want to know the person who's who's submitting this. Who's the social yeah. media person who, who created this? That's who I want to talk to. That's who I want to see. I don't want to see some, like you said, I want to, have an engagement with a logo. I want to have an engagement with somebody who's actually posting, you know? Yeah. And I live on LinkedIn. So I'll just say right now, if you reach out to connect with me on LinkedIn and I hope you do, <laughs> I'll go to your feed. And if it's all company, 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 and no thought of what your opinion is or who you are, I probably won't connect with you. Interesting. Well, I'm going to have to have you check out mine later and see what you think. You can, you can totally troll me and, and, you know, be as critical as you want because I, I thrive on that. So please take take a look at my LinkedIn and tell me what you think. Cool. I won't um, be a about it, but yeah. <laughs> sweet. Well, hey, could you, um, you know, just thinking about how, how organizations uh, need to better understand content marketing, what do you, what do you think that they could be doing and how, um, what are some ways that, you know, as, as businesses start to think about what the idea of content marketing is, um, what might be a, a better way to approach it for businesses that haven't really given much thought to it? Well, there's two, I would say two main things that I would advise most companies to do. One would be loosen up a bit, loosen up. I mean, if your content that doesn't is mean do by, the Harlem shake with everyone in your company, please don't, I don't want to see any more of those Harlem shake videos. I'm done. <laughs> no, no, no gimmicky challenges. No gimmicky challenges. <laughs> but, um, challenges. you know, when I say loosen up, I mean, let's say for example, you have a product and this product is, I don't know, say it's a plumbing product, we'll just pick something that's not not sexy. We'll say it's a plumbing tool, for example. Um, too many times companies wait for the budget to hire some big camera crew to make some traditional commercial looking thing to talk about this tool. Right. When actuality, what works better is even just someone pulling out their cell phone and capturing a user, a plumber using the tool as to say, well, you know what? Used to, I used to use these things, but now um, I've got the situation where I'm trying to fix this thing over here. It's under a cabinet around the corner. I just happen to use this because it works much better for me. Such a such a End different level of authenticity. It doesn't look scripted. It doesn't feel like it was purposefully intended to try to sell somebody. It's just here I am. Here's the thing, and you know, it's yeah. it's just real. Yeah. And that's hard because we typically work from the product down or the service down to say, okay, now we have a product. What can we write or create to show off this product? I think you should probably turn it upside down and say, you know, this is who we are. Let's talk about how we help people 
Um, let's talk about the solutions we provide. Not so much saying we provide ABC solution, but showing the people who are solving a problem. Mm-hmm. Talk about them. Um, I used an example on LinkedIn a few months ago where I said, if you're trying to sell kids shoes, for example, yeah. don't create a commercial about kids shoes, create, create a, a blog article about safe playgrounds, because who cares about safe playgrounds? Mothers do, parents do. Who buys kids shoes? Mm-hmm. Parents do. So talk about things that matter to your audience, right. not necessarily even your product, because once you become a fan of theirs, once they trust you to say, well, I trust them to talk about things that I care about, they will naturally gravitate towards your product um, as opposed to gravitating away, gravitating away from your, your, your commercial or your, your very thinly veiled piece of content. Sure. I, I remember doing something similar with, um, with Skechers and we were trying to introduce search terms that were, that were more around taking care of and, and maintaining your shoes, like how to, how to get gum off your shoes, how to clean leather shoes, how to, um, how to clean white shoes. And it was, it was fun because there's, there's thousands of people a month searching for that type of helpful content. Um, it's still aligned with their industry, which is shoes. And you're providing all sorts of, you know, really helpful content, um, you know, for people that, that have problems, you know, that you can solve. And, you know, the, the hope is like you said, to, to build some brand trust and maybe when they're there, they'll see a, a pop-up that says, you know, Hey, are you interested in learning about, uh, future offers or save 20% if you want to, you know, come back and, and make a purchase or, or maybe you can remarket to them, you know, based on, on their interests and using Facebook and ad roll and, and Google ads remarketing until they either make a purchase or, um, subscribe to your loyalty program or become a connection through a social network, you know, until you move on to the, you know, the next person. So I think, I think there's so much opportunity there and, and people link to that kind of content all the time. Like it's, it's amazing how you can create a, a how to public storage created 12 different how to videos for things like how to store and move a refrigerator, how to store your car for the winter. We took a DeLorean and had some fun with it and people link to that and they reference it in their own articles. And it's, it's a great way to, to sort of, um, become a magnet for links as opposed to, you know, that, that outreach approach of calling and emailing people in hopes that they'll want to link to you. So uh, I agree. I, I love that idea of content of, of solving, solving problems. And any easy way I've seen people do that too, is they go to places like Quora and they find topics mm-hmm. and they see all the questions people have around topics and they see the ones that have the most engagement and like, Hmm, I'm going to create a whole page on this topic. And it's just a great way to sort of data mine for ideas. I also like to use answerthepublic.com, which gives you tons of questions. Um, And then most of the keyword tools that are out there have a question filter. Uh, SEMrush has their magic keyword tool with a questions filter. Conductor Searchlight has uh, a a lower and and middle and upper funnel filter. And uh, Bright Edge has the data cube with a a, question filter as well. So there's there's a million tools out there available to, to sort of scrape ideas. Um, I like to organize them by where there's the most search volume. So if, if there's more people searching for how to move and store your refrigerator than there are for how to store your car, then I'm going to start with that in my content calendar and, and kind of work my way down. Um, I, know, so you know, I know this is your podcast, but I want to ask you a question. Sure. Because <laughs> I know you know the answer. To that. I, want, I want your opinion because one of the slickest pieces of content I've seen recently, I've seen a lot of it, and I don't know how I feel about it yet. Okay. And it's when a company does a top 10 list, yeah. And they're number three. 
forth. They're somewhere in there. Sure. And as someone, you know, not being a marketer, Googling for a solution, I often find, okay, well, here's a top 10 list. This is what I've been looking for. I want to know who the top vendors are for this thing. Okay. And what I often find is, you know, before I even look up at the, the, the web address or look in the fine print to see who, where it came from, I find that one of the vendors, the vendor who wrote the article is one of those top 10. Yeah. And sometimes it's done well where it's just that the fact that they have a particular feature that others don't. So the article is still very useful. But then you have to wonder, you know, what's their angle and is this is this authentic marketing? Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that, those kind it of things? It drives me crazy. Um, I think the title of it should be um, see how we stack up to other industry platforms, that's right? Better. See how we stack up to. I think I think that's the that's the more ethical way than than trying to clickbait them with a top 10 list. Um, uh, unless, unless it's genuinely just a comparison chart. And even then you should be transparent about it in the, the titles and descriptions. Um, probably the only exception to my, my recent rants around Google stripping our titles now and using whatever they want to as our title tag, uh, would be in a case where, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a platform or a service provider is saying top 10 of, of this industry. And by the way, I'm going to put myself at number one. I don't know. I think I would, I would be, I would, I would feel better from an ethics standpoint if I said, see how we stack up to and still get that keyword in there. Uh, but mm-hmm. that way, you know, you're, you're being honest and the person knows what to expect because like you and, and I, when we get to that page and we realize, oh, this guy's, you know, touting their own stuff, we tend to bounce, we leave. And that long-term is going to affect their rankings. Google will see that search behavior and uh, eventually demote the listing. So if you want sustainability, I think being transparent and following, you know, better um, title and description uh, writing practices, you know, seems to me like the the more appropriate route to go. Um, You did, you did say in a recent interview that, that people despise being sold to, but they love entertaining, engaging content. Can you give us some examples of how companies can include more entertaining content? You know, it, it's all the the cliche words we've been hearing over the past four or five years, you know, uh, authenticity, genuineness, all those things are true. And the reason why we hear them so much is because they're true. So whenever there's a story being told that happens to be true, that touches you, that's definitely more, it resonates a lot more. We hate advertising. We're, we're bombarded with advertising. Anything that smells at all like advertising, people tend to avoid it. Yep. So if you tell me a story and you relate it to me, make me feel like this relates to me or why it even matters to me, and it happens to involve your brand, that's the route to go. So either your content says, this is how you do something, or your content tells a story that makes me feel something. So I, I need either feel something or learn something. If I, neither I one of those it. happen, then I, I think you're at a loss. That's amazing. I, I remember always referring to the how web design goes to hell graphic on um, the oatmeal. And it's, it's one of the things I, I share a lot with students in some of the classes I'm teaching. And what, what I use it for is when, when somebody says you need long form content if you want to get traffic and ranking. And yet this one graphic is just an image. There's zero text on the page other than just the links that are in the footer, right? Um, yet it, it ranks for well over 60, 70 different search terms. And um, 
that aren't just the brand you know, or, the, or the name of the article, you know, when web design goes to hell. Um, but uh, when I looked at like SEMrush and, and the search terms that were driving traffic, they were all relatable words that described the article. So, uh, well, not even article, it was just a graphic, but it was entertaining because it took the user, their visitor, which is normally a graphic designer, through an experience that they can relate to. So when a client says, hey, I need a new website design, and this designer says, great, here you go. And the customer comes back and goes, yeah, let me let me chime in a bit on your your idea. Absolutely. And then by the end, you've got an abomination, right? And it's this horrible they say, website make, with the galaxy and kittens. And Yeah, make it pop. <laughs> I need to pop more. <laughs> right, remember that? So I, yeah, I, I thought... I thought, you know what, that's such a great example of two things. One, that it's not always about the words you're using on the page because people will describe those words off the page when they're referencing it, if it's that good. Um, and great content uh, can rank fine without context. You can have images and just video. Um, I, I think BuzzFeed did something a while back where they tested just posting a picture of a pickle. That's all it was. There's no context, no words, no title, no nothing. It was just a pickle. And, uh, and their image showed up in image search and their article showed up around pickle because, uh, because it was BuzzFeed, right? Um, and it was interesting and it was weird, um, but you're right. I think they entertained. And so even with the public storage examples I was talking about before, we actually got a, a film student who was a comedian and she was funny. Um, not like, you know, die rolling on the floor funny, but, but just silly, goofy, funny. And it made you laugh. And it was something I would watch and read because, you know, it's, it's entertaining. Um, Progressive did a campaign dressed like Flo, and you can now dress up for Halloween like Flo from Progressive. So there's there's all sorts of creative, entertaining ideas, I think, that, that marketers can come up with. That, I'm thinking about that um, Flo thing. You just huh? replicated your commercial by the thousands or millions oh, yeah. during Halloween. Everyone's you know, walking around now dressed like Flo, right? Exactly. Like, so if, you're, if your mindset is... How do we get 10,000 flows on the street? What will it cost us? As opposed yeah. to let's get creative, have a marketing campaign and get people to want to do that. Mm -hmm. And like my wife wears a Peloton t-shirt. I'm like, what'd they pay you for that? I mean, do they pay you to go out and advertise for them to give you a free bike or something? No, no she, she had to pay 60, 70 bucks for that shirt. <laughs> plus they talked her into keeping the membership, right. working out to earn the ability to advertise for them. You know, that's what community does. You know, community marketing can make people work for the chance, the honor to be able to advertise for you. That's, right. that's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's genius. It totally is. And, and thinking about thinking about how you measure, right, and how we look at content marketing, this is really important, I think, for those bottom line business owners with really tight budgets. Um, how do you get the greatest ROI? from content marketing in your experience? Uh, well, I, I always like to divide it between hard metrics and soft metrics. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example with podcasting, for example. You know, we know things like downloads and we know uh, unique downloads and subscribers. Those are the hard metrics that we you know, can readily find charts for. But just like any other content marketing, what about the soft ones? In fact, they, they often matter, matter more. Brand awareness, um, social media engagement, uh, ratings and reviews, authority, earned media, customer loyalty. These are all things that, you know, are very soft metrics, hard to measure, very hard but to they measure. are actually the most important ones. Right. Um, even for my own podcast, you may, I'm sure you experienced this too. Mm -hmm. I split my podcast up between 
actual podcast platforms. If you go to Apple or Google, which is still split up between Apple, Google, Spotify, they're split up. Then you have YouTube, podcasts on YouTube as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you have the social snippets people listen to that could be up to a minute or two. So my KPI is, is it being consumed? You know, I don't say, well, I only have so many downloads or streams on, you know, Apple. It's, yeah. that's not my goal. It's my goal marketing, is not measuring impressions. I love it. That's great. Yeah. My, my goal is, yeah. It, are people consuming, consuming the media? Are they learning from it? So I've had people say, you know, I heard this on your podcast mm-hmm. and I ask them where they heard it from. Either they don't know, yep. they heard a social snippet. They might even see it on YouTube, which none of those numbers pop up in the, in the podcast stats. But if I end up getting business from that or making a good connection, that's all that matters. Yeah, we're, we're measuring it in HubSpot right now. So when, when, when we're doing events, if somebody calls or emails after the fact and it resolves to anything business-wise, we're measuring it separately in, in HubSpot. Or you could use a Google Sheet if it's easier. But uh, one, one example was we got an email from AMA Houston, American Marketing Association Houston. And on the 30th, I'm going to be a, a guest presenter. Um, you know, for one of their, um, you know, class style uh, you know, workshops. So uh, that gets me in front of a, a pretty wide audience of, of um, you know, AMA members in Houston, Texas. And then um, yesterday I closed a, what pretty close to an $80,000 contract from somebody who I met through podcasting, right? They, they heard the podcast and, you know, and um, they reached out. In fact, um, one of them wasn't even a podcast. One was clubhouse i was on a clubhouse i was invited to speak on clubhouse and um you know by the time i i had wrapped up the clubhouse our our event went from i think it was a couple hundred people to nearly a thousand people on this thing and afterwards you know i got tons of people asking me questions and follow-ups and can i get a free copy of this um i gave away a ton of enrollments i think we had somewhere close to 150 enrollments that day in our our free course which then is the catalyst to you know us um, showing more content and more courses and eventually maybe even getting them to do a paid course. So, um, you know, we're so building our audience pod, through that. Yeah. We're on Clubhouse because you had the content. You know, it wasn't even them interacting with the content yet. Right. The catalyst was you had the content, yep. went on Clubhouse and talked about the content uh-huh. and whether or not they actually interacted with or were, were a measurable downloader or streamer of your podcast, yep. the end result was business. Absolutely. And and so it's it's paid for itself and then some. You know, I, I do, like a lot of marketers, I invest in uh, working with groups that can get me connected to other folks who run podcasts and to other organizations that might be interested in a story uh, or some research that we performed. And the, the way, like like you mentioned, the way I measure it is I you know, put it into the CRM uh, or into a Google Sheet if it's easier for you. Where did this come from? Oh, it was sourced from this. Well, how much did we invest in it? Well, we spent... I don't know, $20,000 to, to be on a series of, you know, 50 podcasts over the next year. Um, you know, did we make that back? Well, if that 80 K account closed, geez, we, we made that back and then some, right. We were profitable on it. And then, you know, you just continue trying new things and continue to grow. Um, so you do run, you mentioned this B2B podcast, um, from, in your opinion, aside from this amazing ROI, we were just talking about, what are some benefits of, uh, of having a B2B co- uh, podcast? So one of the greatest benefits, first I'll talk about me and then I'll talk about in general. So (laughs) for for me, it's been being able to make some really great connections, Mm -hmm. um, you know, to talk to some, in fact, one of my favorite podcast uh, episodes was I interviewed an author 
of a book that I'd read several years ago. And I enjoyed the book. The book was very impactful to me. Um, and then I had not anticipated that years later, I'd actually be looking for guests on the podcast and he'd be one of them. So, you know, uh, being, yeah, being able to talk to authors, um, mm -hmm. in fact, I almost went down my bookshelf and just said, you know what, I want to interview them, 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 and them. And I have so many people who I've read first and right. then interviewed. Um, and it wasn't just for my benefit to, you know, to meet them, but it was also, if I read their book and got value from it, then I know my audience can get value from it too. So, you know, it gave me a chance to ask the questions that I would want to ask the author as I read a book um, and also ask the questions that I think my audience would, would enjoy. So I think just conveying that knowledge and giving my audience access to the people who we, we can all agree are important to our industry, yeah. that's the value. If I can bring value to my audience, then they won't forget that. That'll convey as value coming exactly, from me as well. Exactly why I got into teaching. I love it. Yeah, um, so I do bring the value to them. And then from other businesses, you know, aside from that, I mean, I just have an article that's coming out next week about okay. uh, account-based podcasting, which is basically creating content specifically for certain accounts or, or personas of an account, um, because podcasting allows you to get very specific if you want to. Um, and not only can you invite those executives within those accounts to be on your podcast, you can also, you know, give them snippets of what your podcast was that shows them that you know what you're talking about and you have a circle of people. Because if you listen to my podcast, it's called The Business of Marketing. Um, you know, in that conversation, I let my guests do most of the talking, but it's also clear that those who listen, that I'm, I'm not just interviewing them. I know the topic myself. Right. And so it's a conversation and I do only somebody who knows a topic can ask certain questions. And so I think my audience from watching our business, the business podcast will realize that not only does Lee know this topic that he can help us with, he's also always educating himself by being around other experts. And I think that's one of the best parts of B2B podcasting is showing that you have a, a circle of people who you have contact with, who bring additional knowledge i love it it's so important and i can't i can't even go into how how amazing just having a podcast has been and like you said the connections we make the the clients that we've we've been able to earn from it um the links in some cases that we get when um some people curate some of that content it's just been it's been a win and and people love to consume podcasts at the moment that might go away you know in five years from now when we're we're doing things differently but right now it's it's helpful people are are consuming it so you you can take advantage of it we we had another question on measuring uh you know your your results from a b2b podcast i told you i use hubspot and and you could use a google sheet what are what are some ways that you use or some tools that you use to measure the effectiveness of the podcast or you the same way you just sort of put it in like a google sheet somewhere well it, it depends on the channel i mean and i'll, I'll admit not not admit it just is what it is. Measuring podcasts are difficult. It's almost like measuring conversations at a trade show. You know, you talk to 100 people today. Did it go through your CRM? No. Did the business card get traded? Maybe not. But you don't know which conversation you had that day. But you do know if you didn't go to the conference, that some of that business would not happen. So podcasts are sort of like that. Um, you do have things you can measure. Of course, you can measure the, the hard statistics like downloads and streams and those kind of things. Emails and phone calls. Yep. Exactly. But if you're doing it right, 
going to create a lot more content than just that audio portion. So for us, yes, we measure the podcast statistics. We also measure the engagement from Hootsuite or from social, right? Mm -hmm. We measure our engagement from LinkedIn. We we measure all our social channels. So really, you could say it's social measurement. Um, The social engagement measurement is a separate KPI for the podcast, but it's a separate KPI. What is our social engagement? Yeah, and then how much from that channel was attributable to the podcast. So measure the podcast on every channel that you place it on, and then aggregate that together to see what the the true, I guess, ROI for your podcast is. That's that's interesting. So we we really could, as we're doing our social media, normally we we keep our um, our URLs simple, and for tracking with tracking codes, we just put source Twitter and um, campaign social. So we could we could do something with the content UTM attribute to um, to specify podcast so that we mm-hmm. can track it and measure it separately in terms of traffic from social by looking at our Google Analytics. It's really smartly. If, I'll, give but, you, I'll give you an example of how, and this is going to be an example towards how difficult it can be. So we had a lead coming yesterday. That lead came in because of a tweet. We, yeah. we were tracking the link from Twitter. The lead came in because of a tweet. The tweet was a tweet about a web page. The web page was about a podcast episode. <laughs> and so the podcast episode was the cause of a page. The page was the cause of a tweet. The tweet was the cause of someone clicking through back to our website and signing up for something. Right. How do you measure that? Was it a successful um, social post? Was it a successful successful blog page? Was it a successful podcast? podcast? <laughs> you know, uh-huh. Where does that happen? Bottom line is we got a new lead from our marketing efforts. So it depends on, you know, I, I had said to, uh, I think it was Christopher Penn a while ago, he's a data scientist. And I had come to the verge of saying, you know, some things in marketing aren't measurable. And he corrected me. He says, no, everything's measurable. It's just a matter of how much you want to spend to try to gather it all. That's so true. I think every company has to figure out where's our line. Yeah. For us, we're not trying to measure that long track around. That's, you know, four things, the podcast, the page, the tweet, the click, all the way back to HubSpot. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to spend all day measuring all of that. All we know is that the podcast in a roundabout way got us a new lead, checkbox success. If if your company is bigger and you can afford to do all that measurement, you have to figure out, is it worth it? You know, um, we weren't spending millions on on Twitter or on HubSpot or on Hootsuite to put it out there. So it wasn't worth it for us to spend hours measuring that. So everything is measurable. You just have to figure out where your line is of how far you want to go to try to find out. If you've got a dedicated web data analyst, go for it. If you don't, you probably don't need it. You don't need <laughs> it. Be okay. Yeah. Yeah. If you never see results from anything you do, that may be all you need to know. You know, I love if I never got inbound traffic from Twitter, uh-huh. that's all I need to know to stop Twitter. Or change something. <laughs> my my question that I've been waiting for, and this is this is something I've been challenged with, my clients are challenged with. This is this is probably the one of the biggest dilemmas and why businesses don't activate or have a uh, an effective content management plan is um, is the tools to use the content calendar in particular. You could do a Google search for content marketing calendar. 
and there's a hundred things available and most of them are garbage. They're really hard to use or manage. Or if there's a really good one that allows you to schedule posts and manage and, and plan and, and optimize, it's going to cost you $20,000 a month because you're, you know, big brand playing for this, this monstrous SaaS system. Uh, we've been trying to coach our clients through using things as simple as a Google calendar and, and how to optimize a specific Google calendar created for content marketing, you know, with dates and things that we need to do. Some of them, you know, are using their CRM like HubSpot to, to schedule things. You mentioned Hootsuite and Sprout Social is another one. Uh, but none of these have really good content planning and content calendars. They just have a scheduling tool and whatever. What are, in, in your experience as a content marketing master, um, what are what are some tools that can help build a, a solid, manageable, predictable content marketing calendar? So in terms of building a calendar, I'm a bit conflicted in that, in terms of what I would tell someone, because it, it goes against convention. <laughs> it's, it's a hard against, topic, right? Yeah, well, it goes, <laughs> what I'm going to say probably goes against convention, but I would say focus more on creating good content and not on some schedule of when it should go out. Okay. People get trapped up in saying, okay, well, we're going to put out a blog article every week. So we need 52 of them. What happens is you end up making 45 bad blog articles because you're stuck to some schedule. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on sticking to some schedule, which it's good to have a schedule, but your content consumers don't know or care what your schedule is. They won't go, oh, you know what? I missed my blog this week that you're supposed to post. Said no one ever. Right. So <laughs> well, you do have to align with seasonality and sometimes national calendar days can be a fun way to to stay in the conversations around things people are talking about seasons and holidays and, um, you know, things that happen. One, one of the things I noticed that that Meineke Car Care did is every month they had some special um efforts like, hey, this month, we're really going to talk about oil, oil changes. Next month, we're going to talk about how mufflers and transmissions and, and so forth work. And the See, following month, I we're going to talk about, you know. So they because you're talking about things that matter problems. and you're yeah. scheduling them out. Mm -hmm. Whenever I get an email that says, hey, it's Labor Day, change your oil before your trip. <laughs> Timing may, may make sense because I may yeah. be hitting the road. Makes sense. I, I'll give them that much. Um, but it's more about I should change my oil, not so much about the holiday. Because when I <laughs> okay. see the holiday flyers come in my mail this week, the physical yeah. stuff, it's going in the garbage because I know it's just like, for example, why do we have a mattress sale on is it Labor Day, Memorial Day? Why? Yes, yeah, it's, it's all time. marketing. It's, it's, it's junk. Fourth of July sale. Yeah. So I think a, a Fourth of July or a Memorial Day mattress sale is a good example mm -hmm. of a content calendar fail because okay. you said I have to have content Memorial Day. What will it be about? Well, the same thing we did last week. We had a mattress sale, but this week we're going to call it Memorial Day mattress sale. No. Tell me about why. I should get another mattress or tell me about, well, who, 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 I don't know what brand it was, which is bad, probably third. I don't know. Um, told us that our mattresses only lasted eight years and they talked about all the dead skin that made it heavier. Yeah. It's creepy. It's kind of gross, but it's great marketing because now we're all having our heads that eight years is the time to get rid of a mattress. Yep. Um, but that was good marketing because it was based on a thing that affects us, thing that we care about. It yeah. wasn't about some some fear time. and emotion. Yeah. Yeah, it was fear <laughs> and emotion. So it, it wasn't like, oh, it's October. It's time for heavy mattress sure. month. So yeah, I'm not a big fan of I'm a fan of scheduling things out after you have good content. 
So I do it, do it with purpose. I love it. I know I have this. Their national you get ten good pieces of content. Then you said, now that we have ten good pieces of content, okay. let's not blow it in ten days. Let's yeah. spread it out over ten months. I love it. So a couple of examples I had mentioned. Um, uh, IHOP has National Pancake Day uh, that they do. They try to align it with the actual National Pancake Day, but that doesn't always work out. And the reason I like it is because they they donate. Um, you know, to charity on that day. When you come in and you get your free stack, you know, the uh, money that you spend when you're there on other things, you know, goes to charity. And then they give some money away. And then um, Applebee's does their Veterans Day where they um, basically give a free meal to veterans on Veterans Day. And that's been phenomenal. Me as a, a veteran, I appreciate that, right? Um, mm -hmm. I don't need the the, the free meal, um, you know, and I, and I, but I know people who really could, who are veterans that would, you know, really find value there. So I I think it's great when you can, like you mentioned the word storytelling, right? When you can tell a story and have a message and a meaning, and you're not just taking advantage of a holiday as a way to sell, but you're like, hey, this is an opportunity for us to to give back, to be different, to provide value, and let's figure out how we can tie it in. You know, and I think the difference so. is the reason why I, I said my view of content calendar goes against convention is because when you have Pancake Day or a, a day for veterans. That's a marketing calendar. That's an event calendar. Yep. It's not a content calendar. Right. And I think that's what we need to distinguish is those two things because you should never make content for a date. You make content for the consumer. That's interesting. You're completely changing my mind about how I look at content. I love it. Very cool. Well, I have a lightning round of questions. You've been amazing, by the way. So <laughs> anything else before I go into my lightning round that you'd like to talk about related to content marketing? Uh, you know, I think that was the, the best closure there. And it's my first time ever saying it, which was the, <laughs> don't, don't create content. Oh, for we're going to splatter this all over the place after that. Yeah. One. I have to forget so that sound bite. You, Cause you're going to be an Instagram really. <laughs> <laughs> all right. My yeah, lightning I mean, round, who, who do we follow in content marketing? If we want to get better, obviously you and uh, <laughs> content monster, but, um, who else, who would you follow that you draw inspiration from that inspires you? Uh, I can't, I can't not say Andrew Davis. Okay. Um, I say him because him, my podcast, after interviewing him, mm -hmm. I interviewed others and they all mentioned him. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start a hashtag the six degrees of Andrew Davis. There you so, go. He's definitely awesome. one. Fa favorite um, uh, content marketing book. Known by uh, Mark Schaefer. Okay, cool. I don't think I've heard of that one. I know Mark Schaefer though. He had known this. Okay. I'll check it out. Um, next one is your favorite online tool for content marketing. Favorite online tool for content marketing. Uh -huh. ah, that's a tough one. Um, you said Hootsuite earlier was one that you use. So is that my friend. <laughs> I use it. Uh, you know, I have to say one that I don't even use as much as I should. I would say Canva. Okay. Yeah. Canva is awesome. Um, if I wanted to be where you're at in content marketing in five years from now, what are some things I need to start doing and some content I should start consuming and some, some habits I need to start creating? The habit you start creating is creating content. Just don't okay. worry about how good it is at first. It will get there. Just create content with whatever you have. If it's just your cell phone, start there, create content, um, connect with people who create content. Um, and I don't mean ones who do it for fun, just for fun, but those who do it with a purpose, with intent. Um, and then also learn the mechanics. I mean, I'm maybe biased by this, but I definitely, you know, I'm a marketing operations geek. So 
you know, I have systems upon systems upon systems. You know, I'm a checklist co- process guy myself. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. When my company was just me, someone thought I was a 50 person, 50 person company at the time when I was just me. And I, they asked me why I said, well, I've got tons of robots, lots of robots, you know? And so I'm a big fan of automation and systems and getting things to be done more effectively. IFTT and yeah, there's this segment yeah. Zapier. We, we love to streamline our lives, our digital lives anyway. So, so automation this, and tons of content. That's it. This has been a lot of fun and I, I've learned a lot. I know people who are listening are, are now just wheels are turning on what they want to do with their content marketing plan. They're not creating content on a schedule. They're creating a event calendar and they're creating content, um, you know, to, to be content, which I think is amazing. Um, you're taking clients, I'm, I'm assuming, right? Because you talked about how uh, how people are finding you. What are some ways if somebody wanted to talk to you about ways that you might be able to help them that they can get a hold of you? Yeah, well, there's there's two ways. First is contentmaster.com. That's M-O-N-S-T-A, contentmaster.com. Uh, you know, we have planned before the pandemic to do as much as we could remotely, um, not knowing there's a pandemic coming. So we do remote video, remote live video, remote podcast, everything remote remote everything and we managed to do that with studio quality so contentmonster.com is is that uh, and then also to meet me directly um a leadjudge.com for consulting and talking about all the geeky marketing stuff and you're all over linkedin so we'll, we'll make sure we post your linkedin and i'm gonna i'm gonna hit you up for uh for some constructive criticism on what i'm doing with my linkedin too so it'll be fun Definitely. Um, I can't believe the podcast because uh, we're going to be on in a couple of weeks on our podcast that's right uh, the yeah. business of marketing and so be sure to check out the business of marketing. Steve will be there. We'll have a different conversation and even better. So check us out there. Heck yeah, I love it. Well, thanks again. And, and guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. And Lee, uh, we'll, we'll catch you offline. And uh, thanks again for, for being a guest on our show today. Thank you. 